and welcome to Into the Aether, a low-key <laughs> video game podcast. My name is Brandon Bigley. And I'm Stephen Elgar. I just want to do the opposite of what you did. <laughs> That's good. Uh, I, I, I like that instinct. Uh, welcome yeah. to the podcast. We, today, are going to talk about a new video game that's been released for the nintendo switch i do feel like a bunch of games came out like in the same on either on the same day or like in the same couple days uh and all of them were were kind of received i I would say like lukewarm across the board but more like people have wildly different opinions about it and when you average them out it kind of lands in the middle a little bit so i'm interested to talk about um most of them so uh, those three that i'm thinking of are paper mario ghosts of tsushima and Ooblets, all three of which I've played, but only one of which we're going to talk about today. We're only going to talk about Paper Mario today. Uh, Ooblets I want to spend some more time with, and Tsushima I also want to spend some more time with. But you and I have been playing Paper Mario and the Origami King. Is that the name? Yeah, the Origami King is the subtitle, correct. Yeah, uh, and I think before we even talk about that game, uh, we should probably go over like where we're at with the franchise, which we talked a little bit about with with Bug Fables, which was yeah, I think I think a game that we're probably going to bring up a lot in this episode. Yeah, totally, totally. Uh, yeah. Which, which is uh, if you if you didn't listen to that one, it, it is the uh, recently released um, the, the recently released like kind of Paper Mario alike, uh, kind of more a- akin to like from what I understand the Paper Mario sixty four kind of era of of that game yeah, design 64 and gamecube like the first two games which are more jrpg based yeah uh, it's almost um, like bug, bug fables is kind of filling a role that you brought up that stardew valley did where like the series has moved in a different direction and someone was like i'm just gonna make what would have been the sequel if it sucked to this path yes and that's what bug fables is yes absolutely uh so i i guess uh to to start we just wanted to talk about like our experience with the franchise um on my end that's gonna be very very easy because i don't have any experience with the franchise so uh, i could just hand it over to steven <laughs> <laughs> this happens a lot, doesn't it? This happened in Fire Emblem. You're like, I played one and I didn't like it. And I was like, it all started in 2013. <laughs> um, but yeah, uh, so Paper Mario is a series that I, I really love. Here's the thing for me, and I feel like I'm kind of between worlds with this, as characters say in Paper Mario, between dimensions when they're yes. stuck in a wall, which is hilarious. Yeah. We'll get into that. <laughs> I think that there is something about whatever your first RPG is that really latches on your heart in both a good and bad way. Mm. So I think for a lot of people that was Kingdom Hearts, which is, I think it was for you. Yes. Uh, for a lot of people, it was Final Fantasy VII, which it was for me. Uh, and for a lot of people too, it was Paper Mario because Paper Mario came out, I think like, I want to say in like either the very early 2000s or the late 1990s. Mm-hmm. Probably the latter because it was on 64. But Paper Mario was a game that basically was the spiritual successor to Super Mario RPG, I would argue, uh, which was made for Super Nintendo, uh, developed by Square. And that game is straight up Final Fantasy with Mario. Like, if you want to play Final Fantasy VI, but you'd rather be like a cloud with a face on it, Super Mario <laughs> RPG is waiting for you. And it is a great game. I, I brought it up very briefly in an earlier episode. I have a physical copy of it. I had saved up enough like credit at the retro video game store near me that I got a copy because it's impossible to find and I doubt they'll ever release it, sadly. Yeah. Um, maybe it's, it, maybe seems, wrong, it seems like the but... rights management stuff going on with Super Mario RPG are, are like 
so outlandish and wild that like we will never see that game released in a in a way that you will be able to purchase like on a Nintendo console probably forever. Yeah, it's as if Kingdom Hearts never had a sequel and they wanted to bring that game back. Like the legal yes. minefield right. of bringing back like basically like a cover concert by two parties is like unreal. But that game I think planted this idea of like what if there was a series that was simultaneously a kind of like satire of Mario and Nintendo uh, that was also like a fun, really great like magical adventure. So like it both has this self-awareness but it also has the sense of whimsy. I've I've repeatedly compared it to the tone that you would find in like a Terry Pratchett novel or Hitchhiker's Guide, where it's this really delicate blend of satire and adventure. Where yeah. like it is it is aware of how ridiculous it is, but it is also you get swept up in it because it's like things are, are have stakes and you care about what's happening. You don't see that. It's a very hard balance to pull off. And that's why I always point to those two books. Cause like I haven't seen that done elsewhere as well. Maybe, uh, the, the exception being, I think like a lot of the modern cartoon network shows strike that balance well, like with Adventure Time and Steven Universe, like having this sort of lighthearted, goofy tone, but with like a serious adventure. But yeah. you know, all that aside, Paper Mario was, was a follow up to that idea and was, I think because, you know, it has the Mario name on it. It was a lot of people's first foray into a JRPG. Uh, Paper Mario for the 64 uh, was a game that was a little bit more interested in in, in uh, stepping away from the strange like claymation 3D of Super Mario RPG mm-hmm. and really kind of stylizing the game as if everything was like made of paper. You know, I, I think it was the idea of rooting in a pen and paper RPG. I could be wrong, but that just makes sense. And it was a really great game. It, it, it was oddly, uh, it was very simple to pick up, but it, it definitely taught you like the basic mechanics of what goes into any JRPG. Uh, Mario had a variety of attacks. You had a partner who had an ability that like once you unlocked a few, it was really interesting to explore this idea of like, who do I have as my companion? Do I want Bombette who is able to like blow up and do like a bunch of damage to like enemies in the front? Do I want a... There's a ghost character who can kind of make Mario immune to what the next attack is. So, like, do I want to play a more defensive game? Um, There was a lot of thought that went into the battles, even though they were, you know, very simple and kind of almost a Pokemon way. And and that game, I think, left a big impression with a lot of people. I bring up what my entry was because I I was already playing Final Fantasy. So, I'm like, what's this baby (laughs) game? What is this for babies? No, I'm kidding. But, like... I, even with my experience with JRPGs going into Paper Mario, thought it was a really impressive RPG, and I got really swept up in it. I did not play the GameCube one. People love that one. Uh, that one, A Thousand Year Door, uh, followed on the idea of being an RPG, and I, I don't know what the exact mechanical changes were. I do know there was an audience, which we'll get into with the newest one, but oh, there's an au- okay. audience watching all the battles that would like respond favorably or not, uh, based oh, I on what that. I know. But like very much the same idea it was it was a magical silly adventure uh that was very much an rpg did not play that one but i i love paper mario and um the one that came out on the wii was this was the beginning of this sort of departure from an rpg formula Uh, i think it was super paper mario it had the same kind of writing and the same sort of like charm of the older ones but it was it was not an RPG at all. It was sort of just like an action adventure platformer where I think the central mechanic was this idea that you could turn 2D to 3D kind of like Fez. Um, okay. To not play that one, partially because like I just like 
the series had so strongly established that it was like the Mario RPG series that I'm like, I don't need another Mario platformer if that's like what you're trying to do with this, you yeah. know? Like, yeah. So I, I didn't pick it up for whatever reason, uh, not out of like any strong feelings either way. It just didn't really appeal to me. I was busy playing Dragon Ball Z Budokai Tenkaichi <laughs> 2 uh, on the Wii. Which great game. I Honestly, I could talk about that another time. I had a great time with that game. You could have all sorts of adventures flying around Earth and space. Anyway, um, <laughs> I... Good Lord. And then they released a few more Paper Mario games for, I think, the 3DS and the Wii U, which, like, no yeah, one was really into. Sticker Star and, and Color Splash were the next ones. Yeah. The, there was sort of an offshoot uh, even further away from Paper Mario where there was a Mario and Luigi series on the handheld systems that was, like, truer to the idea of being what Paper Mario once was. So, yeah, I mean, they really I, seemed like Nintendo just fully taking Super Mario RPG and trying to, like, make it their own thing. Like, they, they were really, yeah. like, trying to answer the, the cries of the people who wanted a more, like, RPG-centric Mario game. As Paper Mario, like, deviated from that, the Mario and Luigi series was, like, trying to root itself there. And I don't really remember how well those were received. I tried playing them and bounced off them pretty hard. I, I remember, like, yeah. when they came out on, like, the Game Boy Advance, I ended up not playing them. Or I tried playing playing them and didn't really like them very much i have not played them but i i feel like the consensus is like it there was never anything that was doing the same thing that paper mario was which is why i think bug fables exist because that hadn't been done for so long and and here's the thing i i really feel strongly that like developers should make whatever game they want to you know i think yeah. that like series change I think there's there's usually a fear of change. There's this sort of, especially with Nintendo stuff, there's this very strong sense of nostalgia that I think sometimes holds people back from experiencing a new thing. That being said, I think it's not a hot take that Paper Mario was kind of like getting bad. Like it was, it was moving <laughs> away. Because the thing was like, that's what yeah. the games were made to be. So like good writing and, and charm can only get you so far when the central game is, is not enjoyable and isn't really like fulfilling a role that other Nintendo games aren't doing exceedingly better. Like, yeah, the idea of making Paper Mario a platformer is like, what are you even trying to do with this? Because like, yeah, 3D Mario is doing that fine. We don't need his his 2D counterpart to do this. Yeah. Um, and even I mean, we'll, we'll talk about it more later, but like even the platforming stuff that does exist in Paper Mario, the Origami King, like is truly like. Uh, uh, just abysmal like really bad really hard <laughs> to do any kind of platforming in in the most recent iteration of it which like they are still trying to to drive that home but anyway yeah so anyway um i'm coming into this new one with the idea of like i have been away from this series for a long time i love the first one i really want to check out the gamecube one one day it'd be cool to revisit that and yeah. see how i feel about it like now but for me it's like i i haven't really been like clamoring for a new mario rpg because I, there are so many other rpgs in my life that like yeah i don't know what role paper mario would fill in 2020 Mm -hmm. If it was a true, like, you know, if it was exactly what Paper Mario was or exactly what Thousand Year Door was, I don't know if that would actually be that exciting now because RPGs have moved in such a more interesting direction. Yeah, um, totally. The only way I would be really into that is if they were... Because I think Paper Mario introduced this idea of, like, a level of, of real-time interaction that at the time didn't really exist in a lot, a lot of turn-based combat. You know, this idea of, like, timing certain attacks and everyone playing a different role. The idea of knocking down enemies so their position is, like, 
in a line or not. I think that, you know, we're seeing a lot more creativity with turn-based combat in games like Persona and in games even like Octopath Traveler, which like kind of feel like a super cut of, of all the mechanics that have come up to this point. But Paper Mario just had a very unique vibe that I, I can understand why people were missing. I myself just sort of like thought it was a cool game and 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 didn't need a new one um, and went into Origami King not needing it to be an RPG, but wondering what it would be in place of that. Mm-hmm. So that's sort of like what my what my level going into this was. Yeah. Um, so uh, I know you said you, you don't really have the same experience, but like just touching on what your expectations were before we talk about the game itself. Yeah, I mean, I, I know I, I've played a bunch of Bug Fables, right? Which uh, if, if you want, yeah. if you want to go listen to our experience with that, uh, I think the episode is called Saying Bug Fables Like That is the name of it. Uh, it's it's pretty recent. Um, just weird timing that they came out around the same yeah. time. I want to touch too that like I've still been playing that game. It only gets better. Like I really love Bug Fables. Yeah. Um, oh, cool. It's great. Yeah, I, I need to put more time into it. Yeah. So I, I played that and enjoyed it. Um, I mean, I'm coming from this place where like before we started doing this podcast, I wasn't even really an RPG person in general. Like I wasn't yeah. really playing a lot of them that weren't like hyper westernized, really just Bethesda stuff. Like I've I've just always been a really big fan of of like Oblivion and and kind of Fallout, but kind of not really. I mean, really just Oblivion. Actually, now I'm thinking about it, yeah. but like and and briefly Mass Effect and stuff like that. Yeah, yeah. Um, but like yeah. I I've never considered myself like a big RPG guy. Um, but I have always considered myself like a pretty big Nintendo guy. So I I think have always kind of wanted to check out the Paper Mario stuff. And in my years of like going back and playing, because I I didn't have a Nintendo console growing up it wasn't until much later the wii was actually the first one that i that i owned oh wow um so like all of my all of my experience playing those games from super nintendo and nes and n64 are either playing them at somebody else's house which is like you get you know 20 minutes to an hour of of experiencing that or me going back and playing them myself way later which is kind of what i've been doing and i have never really had that uh experience with paper mario as much as i i feel like i wanted to um because i i find that when you're like emulating stuff or whatever like i bought a gamecube and like played a bunch of gamecube games that i had never played before you know because they were like on sale at at gamestop for like 20 or 30 dollars you could get a gamecube for like nothing you know at, at a certain point so like in those experiences i found that it was it was more of like a, i would dig into a game for like a day or two and then move on to the next one because it was like i have so much history to get through that i that i can't spend the full time playing this thing uh if i if i want to like catch up i don't know why this was like a self-imposed thing that i did but it sure was but because of that because i was playing stuff at such a fast pace I felt like digging into a full ass RPG would never really work. Like I, yeah. I, I would not get the the correct experience out of Paper Mario or Thousand Year Door if I went and tried to play them as quickly as I was playing the other stuff. So all that having been said, I, I, I am going into or I went into Origami King like really fresh, like really my only my only uh, indication of what these games are, quote unquote, supposed to be is Bug Fables, which is hearkening yeah. back to a game that I also haven't played. Right. So like. I I am coming at this game like as kind of uh, tabula rasa as possible. And like going back <laughs> to our very like first episode of this podcast, uh, a, a thing that, that you and I used to talk about all the time and a thing that you brought up uh, specifically is like judging games by their intentions. 
that is how I went into Origami King was like, what is, yeah. what does this game want to be and how successful is it at doing that? And that's that's been the lens through which I've been experiencing this so far, which um, has been an interesting experience. Um, I, yeah. I look, I'm pretty positive on this game so far. There are there are some things that it does so like I'm not even going to like color. Like, I'm not even going to like try and like paint over it, but like. There are some things that it, it does like very poorly, but yeah, but the wrapping around all of it, uh, no pun intended, is fucking great. Like there is an incredible game here. There is like a really fun, wild experience here, but there are some things that it is intending to do that it does very poorly. And and I don't know that that dichotomy is very interesting, which is why I brought up in the beginning of this episode, like Paper Mario and Sushima and Ooblets all came out in like in forms that I think uh, that, that don't hold up to the standard that they're trying to set for themselves. Like Ooblets is out in early access at the moment. And because of that, there it is very rough around the edges. And as much as I enjoyed my time with it, those edges are fucking rough. And when you're sprinting headfirst into them, they hurt real bad. Uh, Sushima is another situation where I've only played a couple hours of it, but like already I'm starting to, to see kind of like the cracks in not to like put words in developers mouths or anything, but it feels like they rushed to get it out as the last PS4 game instead of the first PS5 game. Um, Mm. and, and paper Mario has some like really rough edges as well, uh, which I think we'll get into, but, but overall, like I'm going into this with absolutely no expectations and, and walking away very positive and like very excited to play more of it. Um, totally. Yeah. Yeah. So that's kind of where I'm at. Yeah. So I guess we'll, we'll get into the game now. Yeah. Overall, I'm, I'm in a very similar boat. I, I, I have to say the game's like first hour, I was so smitten. Like this game's intro is so funny and so immediately immersive and charming yeah. that like I was convinced. I'm like, this might be my favorite game I played this year. Like the first hour of this game yeah. is like so totally my shit and like sets the game up so well. Um, wow. I, I so wildly disagree with that. I mean, I, I like it in tone, oh, okay. but I I found the um, well, actually, we'll get into it. Please, please keep going. I mean, I'm being a little bit hyperbolic. Like, I, I think, uh, you know, it's there are a lot of good games this year, but um, <laughs> I just was like in and I, and I think I think what remains still is like this game is like a very joyful time. It, yes. it, it is a very needed ray of, of like happiness that doesn't feel <laughs> shallow, especially um, post last of us. Yeah, man. It's, <laughs> it's, I, I really, I mean, this is across the board, like any review, even more negative ones will say like this game's writing is so good. Like it's so funny every time. Uh, I love their, rep- I, I said this on Twitter, but I love how they present Luigi. Um, yes. Because Luigi's usually kind of a coward and here he's like underappreciated Samwise. Yeah. Uh, like there's a point where like the castle has been taken by the origami villain and like streamers have wrapped around it. It almost reminds me of Breath of the Wild where like a lot of the game is repairing this sort of fractured kingdom. But anyway, we'll get into that. Yeah. But um, they carry the castle away and you see a green hat on the floor and you have a like Navi-esque origami companion who picks up the hat and is like, it's such a nice hat. We'll like, uh, we'll have to like remember this hat. And you can hear Luigi crying for help in the background, but they're just talking about the hat. Yeah. Like really funny stuff. Um, they, uh, they also, th- this is also a Luigi who has canonically experienced all of the Luigi's mansion games, which is interesting. There, yeah. there are a couple lines that directly <laughs> reference Luigi's mansion. 
um, which is great because now, I mean, he he has had character development because yeah. he's experienced those things, and he is a different Luigi than the one uh, that that you would that you would meet in Luigi's Mansion, which I love. I love that they also get around riding on a Mario Kart, which like I had to message you about. Like, this is such a like funny idea. Yeah, I've taken so, so many yeah. screenshots of this game already, and the first yeah. one was as soon as the game opens and they're in Mario Kart. Yeah, great. all that stuff is great, and in the intro, it's you don't really get into battles right away. You know. I'm talking about like escaping the castle levels of intro. So maybe not the first hour, but more like the first like 20 minutes. Mm. You meet a companion uh, named Olivia, I believe. Yep. There's a great mechanic where you can just hit X and she t- gives you a hint of what to do next, which I think I like that mechanic so much that I've been pushing that button in other games. Uh, That's really I funny. think that like that uh I love that, that. is such a especially in RPGs where like you it may be a little bit esoteric and where to go next, which this game does get into sometimes. Um because it is it gets a little bit more open than you might expect it to be at a certain point. I, I love that mechanic and you uh you save Bowser who's all folded up. I was actually very I loved the way they wrote folded Bowser. Like I was like so into folded Bowser and you get parted in the beginning, but I was like very invested in this journey of like Mario Olivia and Folded Bowser. Um, sadly did not happen. Yeah, I was really bummed that that Folded Bowser goes away. Um, well, yeah. Yeah, when you meet Bowser, he's folded uh, essentially into like a, a little tiny rectangle with like a crease in the middle so he can kind of like hop around in a way, but it's just his face uh, and, and he's clamped yeah. he's clamped in a paperclip or, or sorry, a clothesline just like hanging from the ceiling. So you have to free him there and, and he spends a lot of time talking about how he can't run very fast because he's walking on his face. Uh, it is so yeah. funny. They also get into uh, a thing that I really love. They like briefly touch on this idea that uh, that Mario and Bowser live in this like Batman and the Joker esque kind yeah, of like like doomed apocalypse yeah. uh, situation where they need each other to survive. Yeah, like there can't be one without the other, which is great. I love that too. And I was like, this is the perfect setup for him because B- Bowser had he was the final boss in Paper Mario, but in Super Mario RPG, he's one of the party mates you get. Okay. Ew. Uh Anyway, also just want to say like this game is fucking beautiful and the music is incredible this is one of the best soundtracks like i know that i point out music a lot i think it's one of the things i like look for in a game especially in rpg because if i'm going to spend this much time with this game you know but i think like this game soundtrack goes from like octopath traveler-esque orchestra to like literally persona 5 boss music Mm -hmm. and like it all works so well. So that that's why I was smitten. I was so in love with the presentation. I was so in love with the writing. I liked the idea that like there was a sense of involvement with um one of the first things you do mechanically is you find like a magic circle that makes your arms into uh like accordions. Yeah. And you use motion controls to like maybe find a piece of the wall to peel away or whatever. I actually really liked that, and it harkened back to a lot of early Rareware games where, like, a lot of those games were action-adventure platformers where you would find some kind of similar circle or pedestal that gave you a brief ability to progress in whatever way possible. So, you know, you might jump higher as Banjo-Kazooie, you know, stuff like that 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 I... really responded well to the game started to really <laughs> crack under itself when you do battles for the first time. Yeah. As, this as is what I'm out, talking about with the, with the first yeah. hour. This is where it like really fucked me up. So the way the battle system works is, and I also noticed like I paused early on and I saw that in the pause menu, there was an inventory for weapons and accessories. And like, okay, so this is definitely, it, it is definitely at least trying to have RPG mechanics here. Yes. They announced this game. We were both excited for it, but it wasn't clear what it was going 
going to be. And a lot of people who have been waiting a long time for a, a true Paper Mario, or I don't want to say true, but like, you know, an original Paper Mario sequel. Yeah. We're wondering what this is going to be. And I think like I, I, I simultaneously get that desire, but I also was very much going in seeing what this game's intention was going to be. Yeah. Like, what is this trying to be? I don't need it to be more of the same. I'm not going to boycott it because it's not more <laughs> of the same. Yeah. That's not my vibe, as you can tell by listening to the show. Like you, I went into this expect like judging it by what it was trying to do. I was completely open for it being either a, a, a back to basics RPG or something else. And and that to me is a very interesting question. It's like, what could you do with Mario that isn't an RPG that is different from the mainline series? Yeah. And, and, and to the, to the, to the latter games credit, even though like they kind of fell on their face, I'm like, that seems to be what they're trying to engage with is like, what is, what is there to explore? Maybe, on a different path. So anyway, um, but but exploring the start menu, I saw that there was room for for weapons and accessories. I'm like, okay, like there's definitely at least something RPG happening here. And then you get into the first battle, which you said was like where you bump into really like really long tutorials. Yeah. And I guess I'll just explain what the combat is. You are good luck, um, man. <laughs> <laughs> If we can talk about, if we can explain Kentucky Route Zero, I think we can explain the battle system. <laughs> yeah, okay. A Paper Piv, Mario Origami King. So you are, <laughs> this does sound like a dream I had. I was in the middle of three rotating tiles and <laughs> I had a, a finite number of actions to rotate the tiles, either ideally creating a line of enemies or uh, a group of four enemies in the front because in my dream, I could either jump on the enemies in a line uh, or I could use my hammer, which uh, did a two by two radius in front of me. Um, now, in my dream, I also had the ability to do a finite number of attacks. If I successfully lined up the enemies in my dream, I would get a bonus uh, to my attack. And in the beginning, in the first three hours of my dream telling me how to do this, uh, the puzzles were so easy that I was able to do so without the enemy even getting their turn, which uh, as my dream became a nightmare, I started to think, what does their turn look like? I haven't been given the opportunity to fail yes. that I don't know what I am trying to avoid, in which the tutorial stopped and I ended up in a uh, place called Graffiti Sewers, uh, where <laughs> suddenly the puzzles got hard enough that I wasn't able to line them up successfully, and uh, they all attack you once and do roughly 3,000 points of damage, <laughs> unless you push A to block right before they attack, but there's no real uh, discernible pattern to how fast or slow enemies attack, so you're basically just not able to block most of the time, unless it's a boss battle where you're given sort of a repeated uh, a, a pattern of attacks that you can eventually adjust to. Yeah. Um, and then I woke up and I saw Luigi's hat on the floor. Um, <laughs> and that's my dream. And it was all real. But that's the tutorial. Um, that's the tutorial. I, yeah. I did not know, like, I did, I, I, don't get me wrong, I actually kind of enjoy the puzzles, but for the first big chunk of this game, they are very much the same. And there's really no variant of them either being like, you know, overwhelmingly easy to like the point of like, I have no idea how to do this. Yeah. Like there's no middle ground. Yeah. It really, it really is one or the other. So here's, here's where judging the game by its own intention starts to bump up against itself, right? Like this, this is where I think the game actually like, 
I think really like does kind of fail a bit. So like there, there's a part of me that actually does enjoy this combat. I, I think I think it is interesting and has has a lot of room for for fun in it. Um, but this is a game that at least in its opening hours really says to the player like we made this game for kids. You know, like this is a this is a game for children. At, at least in like in tone and writing and, and and aesthetic and things like that and and especially in the first few rounds of combat as you were just saying where it's so easy that the enemy doesn't even have a shot to attack but then suddenly you bump up against the first puzzle that is like like nigh impossible like you cannot get past it without without getting attacked like you will it is it is a zero to 60 situation where suddenly i'm starting to ask myself like okay those the the young kids who just learned how this combat works how do they (laughs) feel about this suddenly where like the puzzle has ramped up in difficulty to the point where they cannot solve it in all of the rounds that they're given and on top of that and this is my biggest grievance with with i think the entire combat system is that you have a time limit when you're solving the puzzles you have you have a finite amount of uh, moves so you can you can turn these rings they're they're the three uh, rings around you you can turn the rings uh but you only have a certain amount of moves so you can only turn the rings a certain amount of times and if you don't line up like the goombas or whatever uh within those finite moves then you've effectively failed the puzzle you cannot attack all of them at once and you will be attacked on top of that they then add another mechanic where not only can you turn the rings but you can also spend moves shifting the rings outwards and i have no idea how i'm going to explain this in a way that makes sense in an audio form but you can you can you can shift the rings um dude you ever see fish live man like some songs don't stop that's man. that is like, what this feels like um I, I, look, I, honestly dear listener i'm just going to give up on explaining how shifting the rings works but just know that it that it adds literally another light like another dimension of depth to how you're yeah. supposed to be rearranging these characters and and it gets to the point where i stopped thinking to myself like this is a game for kids and started to think like this is actually a game for adults and and there's this constant tug of war between those two things um so on top of having a finite amount of moves you only have in the beginning of the game you only have 30 seconds to make all of those moves to to actively discern exactly the one solution to this puzzle and make all of the correct moves by turning the rings pressing the correct buttons to like be able to like they're literally asking you to press different buttons to switch between turning the rings mode and then shifting the rings mode uh it it is a lot to take in and it is all dumped on you at once where the first hour is is so explicitly like this is how combat works it is so fucking easy that you're never gonna have to block or get attacked to suddenly being like you have 30 seconds to turn the ring shift the rings figure out the puzzle exactly (laughs) and then learn how to block all at once where yeah yeah it goes from holding your hand to not only letting go of you but telling you that you need to wander into Times square with your with your eyes closed you know it is it is really really wild um how how much of a disconnect there is between what the game on its surface is telling you it is and what it actually is um and that's not to say that it's bad because again i am enjoying it and we're gonna talk about the boss battles eventually and those fucking rule they're so good but they're so good but it it is in it is in the combat system uh like in in the middle of playing the combat system that i find that the game it it doesn't know what it wants to be and then on, on top of that there's another layer on top of that that I think is like the biggest grievance that everyone will have, like everyone will have about this game is that the combat is not rewarding you at all. And that's, that's, I think 
where you would probably where I th- imagine you were going to bump up against it as well, where like this game wants to be an RPG, but you're not getting experience from any of these battles. The only thing you're getting are coins, which honestly, like you're not really spending them on anything. So there's more of an incentive to skip the battles to be able to progress than there is to actually get involved in the battles and finish them. Because at the end of the day, the thing you want as the player is to see more incredible locations, meet more incredible characters, check out this writing, uh, explore this world because it's so aesthetically stunning at all times. But constantly there's a flying Goomba hiding behind a bush who will jump out and attack you when you least expect it. Uh, that that literally impedes upon that progress um, and, and doesn't doesn't give you anything. And, and it's wild that you and I are going to talk about Pokemon Crystal later. We're talking about uh, we're going to be recording our bonus episode later today um, yeah. because that is a game that it occurred to me because I've been playing so much Origami King going back and playing more Pokemon Crystal was like even in instances where I run into a battle, I am incentivized to see a through because at least I'm getting experience even if it's almost none I'm getting experience for my Pokemon and that that is progressing the game I, c- I could run away and that's fine but if I stick around there's an incentive for me to do so whereas there's always an incentive for me to flee in Paper Mario the Origami King and even when I flee there's a chance that I can't uh, so you'll just fall on your face as Mario and then uh, and then you can't flee so yeah that's that's my big gripe that's my big gripe with the game I think I think it has I think it uh, bumps up against its own intention in, in a lot of instances via the combat and everything else is great. Yeah, there's an there's an identity crisis for sure. And I, and I would probably guess that the team was divided between like, do we do a straight up action adventure puzzle game or do we listen to the fans who want an RPG? Yes. Uh, and what you have is like a strange Full Metal Alchemist <laughs> monster that yeah. is neither and both. Right. Um, you technically did bring your mom back, but she's inside out. <laughs> I hate that. That's my first thought. Um, here's the deal. I, I, Ooh, give me the I deal. like you said, the puzzles can be very fulfilling. And I think that conceptually I was inspired just by conceptually the basic idea of adding an environmental level to turn-based combat. Like, I think that, this game at least attempting to doing this and maybe failing a bit here and there, but like attempting to make a turn-based combat system that incorporates enemy placement and moving around, which has been done in games that are more like uh, uh, isometric, like, you know, Fire uh, fire Emblem and, and uh, Final Fantasy Tactics and stuff like that, where like you're, you're looking at the map and seeing who can attack who and all that. But I think there's a place for a combat system to really be interested in enemy placement. Um, that's something that I, I find very interesting in D and D where like, there are some attacks that fighters have where like they can move enemies back or closer. And there's a lot to consider about the range of certain attacks and like who gets hit. So like that to me conceptually is fascinating. But as you and I pointed out, the the degree in which they're either insultingly easy or like undiscernibly difficult is like way too, way too, you know, on one end or the other. Uh, and, and the fact that like, I don't need to level up like there. Is, so as you play the game, I think once you finish an area, you're given a heart that gives you more max health. And it does make you stronger in the sense that uh, Olivia tells you, like, if you run into enemies on the map that are significantly weaker, you can just hit them with the hammer and they're taken out, like, in the map. Because it's yeah. sort of like a Chrono Trigger, uh, you know, similar to Paper Mario, where you see the enemies on the map and you bump into them and then combat starts. 
Yeah. So uh, you eventually get the ability to like, okay, if I'm walking in an earlier area, I can just hit them with a the hammer and get the rewards and not even have to go through the combat. But what that means is that the game is rewarding you. The sense of progression of getting stronger is not having to do what the game is about, which is a right. little bit like, and, and like you said, you only get coins, which you can use to buy accessories and power yourself up in some ways and, and items break. So you'll need to always have money to buy them. But you get so many coins that even if I was frivolous with my iron boots, I still have 10,000 left. You can spend coins to bribe toads to help you, which that could be a whole other show. There's so much to explore with that. But they don't really help that much. And like, it's not really worth it because it costs like nine. You had to spend uh, at most 999 for them to like rearrange the board. But like what that means, it's like, okay, I'm only getting coins and I can either spend coins on items that are really cheap and I still have a ton of coins left over that I can frivolously use to bribe toads to play the game for me. So no matter what way you look at it, the sense of progression is the game making you not play it, which like, yes, is yeah. fucked. And, and, and immediately falls on top of itself. And there were points in this game where I think I was running from enemies saying no more out loud because I did not want to do the <laughs> battle system anymore. Yeah. And, he, and here's the deal. I think there's a way to make this work even as is. I think the way to make it work is to put a finite number of enemies leading up to the boss. Put a specific number of enemies that that gradually increase the challenge that teach you something new and eventually they kind of do that once you get to the caves you encounter different enemies like koopas where you can kick the shell and and take out a lot of enemies which at least adds a variant to it and i thought that was kind of interesting where it's okay like i'm now prioritizing something else going on here but enemies respawn so you're going to end up running more often than not because you don't need more coins uh, (laughs) to not play the game it's so i I describe this game as like an incredible muffin recipe and they forgot to add baking soda because like there's something about it where it just it hasn't risen uh and, and and everything around it is so good and like i'm enjoying playing it and i would recommend it but the battle system is really like almost there out of spite in a way. Yeah, um, it does feel that way. It really does. Yeah. Um, and and uh, the, the one exception to that is the boss combat, which, yes. which you love. And, and, and you were like, I implore you to at least finish the first boss. I've actually done two of them at this point. Um, Me too. But, uh, but, but the boss combat reverses the standard enemy combat, where instead of you being in the middle, turning these rings uh, around to line up the, the enemies in a way that you can attack them, you are now on the outside of the rings and the boss is in the middle. And you have to line up arrows that are placed on on those rings uh, to be able to uh, essentially create a path to hit the boss and attack the boss. Uh, and in some instances, actually in all instances, the boss can only be attacked in certain places, which does create like a really fun, I think, like spatial awareness puzzle that you're going to have to figure out and solve. And honest, like truly, I really wish that this was just the combat. I really yes. wish that it was you versus one enemy who is in the middle of this circle and you have to figure out a way to get into the center of the circle. Like that would have been, I think a more fun and more rewarding experience because it is thrilling in boss combat. It is so and the music fun. is so good. And like, it's so that's where it gets like very persona E in my opinion. And yeah. like, they change it up where like the second boss is pretty quickly after the first. And then the second boss is this like a uh, case of, of color pencils. It's very funny. That's shooting them like missiles. Yeah. And different like targets will be on different points on the map i totally agree because i think the boss combat is is like a a different skill set than the encounters are yes so i think like what would have made this game 
perfect, in my opinion, is like, again, finite number of battles, make all the battles mean something, teaching you a skill that is put to the test in the boss fight. As we have it now, it feels like this half-baked idea that's thrown in that you eventually have to just get past, and the game is giving you currency to not do it, and then you get to the <laughs> bosses, which are fun. So it's like, this game is is like almost an inside-out version of Octopath Traveler, but that was a game that, like, also incredible music, beautiful presentation, just insane, like, incredible interpretation of turn-based combat. Like I said, it's a supercut of, like, every good turn-based combat mechanic, but the story was completely absent, and the writing was, like, just truly a nightmare. Yeah. Um, and if I we both eventually bounced, because it's like, okay, well, I'm enjoying this game, but I don't care about the story. This is the complete opposite, where I'm like, the combat is a true nightmare that, like, has some cool ideas, and the bosses are great, but I am in love with everything else. Yeah. And, and everything else is good enough that my opinion on this game is still positive, even though it sounds like we're, like, really going at this. It's, it's, it stands out, because it's like, it's as if he went to a show, a, a concert of a band you love, and they randomly just started juggling poorly between songs. And you're like, I'm here for your music. I don't want to see you try to juggle. Yeah. But this is not what I came here for. And that goes into the intention of the game because this game is not trying to be a jrpg so i think the elements like i think this game would have benefited from not even pretending to have that like get rid of all of that and just do the like puzzle shit because that's actually very good the 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 attempt to incorporate rpg elements is actually really holding this game back because it's 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 seeing like we said it seems they're out of spite yeah so you know the the the, like Uh, weapons and items breaking side of things is like more frustrating than fun you know like I, that, that's kind of the age old question with uh, with Breath of the Wild like does that actually add to that game or not and in this game I think it like really just kind of only detracts right because like anytime a weapon breaks that means you have to go to an item shop and then buy more which means you need coins which means you have to have gotten into combat at some point and like the combat is as we've said not exactly thrilling or or, or great so I don't know it it's just like so at odds with itself at all times and and I don't want to come off as like too negative about it because again I'm having a super good time playing Paper Mario the Origami King uh, especially having like not played any of the previous games and just coming into this like with no expectations at all like I think it is an extremely well-made game but but the combat is such a miss that yeah, like it is and and I think it like I was considering like okay it's going to be very interesting to see what this new Paper Mario is all about with with Bug Fables coming out so soon before and Bug Fables is like is doing the complete opposite you know it, it is going in exactly the RPG direction that I think a lot of people wanted and we're both coming from like we don't need it to be that but I think we need the game to know what it wants to be that's what we're commenting on because the yes, game doesn't absolutely. yeah it doesn't know what it wants to be and this game makes me smile it makes me laugh it it, it war it gives me a warm fuzzy feeling playing it there's a mechanic where you collect confetti from the world and there are like points on the map that are like broken and you can burst confetti to refill it and you get you know a bunch of coins and like this game feels great in moments like that just like collecting shit and interacting with the environment this game i think could have just been like environment puzzles and then a big puzzle against the boss and would have been so much better like yeah. I, I i think as we talk about it i think like the the idea of playing this is 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 uh is something that i want to continue doing we just got to the second world where you meet the babam character who is named bobby by default he's incredible uh, it's so funny it's such a cool character and like yeah i want to see where this story goes weirdly enough i want to see like 
the other environments because I can't stress enough how beautiful this game is. Like it is really. I shared some screenshots. Like it is a really beautiful game. The second world is called Autumn Mountain, and it's all like autumnal colors and and very much like inspired by like kind of like feudal Japanese shrines and like yeah, it's just beautiful. But yeah, it is like you have to put up with a lot, which like I think is weirdly what you felt about a lot of RPGs before you found the ones you liked, where it's like I'm liking this from it, but I don't want to have to do X to get what I want. Yes, um, absolutely. Or how you felt about the first Last of Us, where it's like I don't want to have to put up with something I don't like to get what I want, which like for this game, I maybe wonder if just watching it would be a better experience. But like, I yeah. am glad I got it. I am glad I'm playing it. I will play more of it. But it, it really is like... I, I hope that the series after this game really, really starts to question, like, what do we want to do with this series? You know, because what they're doing well and what they've always done well is the writing and is the characters and sense of humor. But that doesn't really like make a game. It, it, it's stuff that makes a game could make a game great when there's a good central mechanic. But it's hard to make a game around just good writing. You know, yeah. Um, if you're looking for a game that like just makes you laugh and makes you feel good, this game is that. But just know that you have to do weird puzzles every now and then with no reward. Yeah, uh, yeah. It's it's really other than the boss fights, which are amazing. It's so weird. Yeah, the boss fights are great. I uh, the the one aspect that I think is worth touching on that we that we haven't mentioned yet is um, the the origami king, the antagonist of this game. Uh, the first thing that he did when he took over the Mushroom Kingdom is he took all of the toads in in the Mushroom Kingdom and he folded them up into into like weird places or into weird objects. So like every once in a while you'll be running around and you'll see like a grasshopper jumping around. And if you whack the grasshopper with your hammer, it turns out it's a toad, and and hitting it with your hammer has flattened it out. The toad will say something goofy, and then like get added to your collection of toads that you have um and and that experience of like going around and doing these like environmental puzzles to find these toads is so fun and like pretty early on you get uh, an accessory that is like a little bell that'll ring when you get near a toad that's like folded up and like hidden away somewhere so you kind of like always know that there's one around uh but you don't exactly know how to get it or like where it is per se and that like that to me is the most fun thing I think present in this game, like in terms of like actual like player action, like in terms yeah. of the actual like minute to minute, like mechanic of the game, going around and finding those toads is the best part. Like I have a great time doing that um, because they're always in such like fascinating places. So in, in that autumn mountain that you and I have just uh, arrived on, uh, one of the first things you, you come upon is a lake that's all dried up and there's a bunch of like, there's a bunch of like fish flopping around in, in where this lake was and all the fish are toads that are folded up in, in, into fish, you know? And every once in a while you'll like find a, like a scarab beetle or something that you like whack with your hammer and then when it unfolds the toad will be like I actually like went to a summer camp where I learned how to be a scarab beetle when I was a kid so this was actually perfect for me now I'm upset that I'm a toad again you know like just it's like, always funny like, it, like yeah. there's one there's one part where there are like four toads like in the ground they had to pull out and the last one says they bury me the deepest because they I'm the one they were worried about here I go and, yeah. he runs <laughs> and, <he's laughs> and what's so funny is that all whenever you get a toad um, occasionally they will run away and you can follow them for a while i don't know if you did that they do run to places like there they there is pathing there uh that, that takes them to a place and they will run through the entire environment to get to wherever they need to go which is so funny every time yeah i don't know all all of the like minute to minute like 
like environmental experiential stuff is so fucking good and fulfilling and great. And like, as you're saying, like fills you up with this warm and fuzzy feeling that is like Nintendo incarnate. You know, it's, it's that, it's that feeling that you get from every Nintendo game, just about like distilled into just great writing and, and great ambiance. And, and that is, that is why, like, even though I think, we we sounded so negative before like i do want to drive this point home i highly recommend this game i think it's incredible i think it's an, an achievement um it's just not at the level that i think the the developers intended for it to be you know it 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 because it's uh playing tug of tug of war with itself like and end up being a little bit less than what it wants but that doesn't mean that there isn't an incredible experience to be had here. And and the sense of progression, weirdly, is saving the Toads. Because a lot of the Toads will be like, hey, I actually run the store back in Toad Town. Like, yes. come visit me. Yes. And, like, it, it, it almost feels like Terrytown, in a sense, where you're rebuilding this area that was lost. Yeah. And, like, that's what I'm responding really well to is, like reclaiming the environments from the origami king you know spraying confetti Mm -hmm. to repair patches in the ground meeting new characters saving toads who will then give me accessories that do help me and that's where you feel like you're getting more powerful yeah um so i think this game like really like it's so far in that direction that i think to like add too many more rpg mechanics on top of that would pull it away from itself Mm -hmm. so but yeah i mean like you said i would recommend this game still like it is so joyful and funny and well written the question of like is it worth sixty dollars is not something we really like to cover which is why i think maybe watch a playthrough if that's too much for you right now like i definitely think it's worth experiencing this game in whatever way works for you and I do think, like like we said, even though the battle is a miss in the way it's in, in incorporated, the, the, the fact that the boss fights are so thrilling, and the fact that conceptually, at least, the battle system is really planting these ideas in my head, means that they're doing something right with it. It just it was missing, like, one or two things. Yeah. Which is why I brought the baking soda analogy up. I'm like, it just needed one thing yeah. to work. Yeah, I, I think I think you're totally right in that, you know, it, it's either too easy or too hard and there's no in between there. Again, I, I think that the, the battle system is interesting and and definitely like worth exploring and is like even fun to a certain level. Um, yeah. But because you never know before you get into combat, if it's going to be too easy or too hard, it just kind of creates like a frustration point. And then to add on top of that, the fact that you're not actually getting anything out of it is like where it really becomes, I think, a like just avoided at all cost situation. You know, like I I wouldn't mind as much if it was too hard, if like making it through it meant that I was getting something of value, you know, um, totally. But ironically, the thing you are getting out of it is coins, which again, ironically, have no value, really. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's it's one of those games that I picked up kind of on a whim just because I was really curious, especially after playing Bug Fables. I wanted to like get the real Paper Mario experience. And uh, I feel like I am getting that and I would recommend it, uh, even with all of the very negative things that I said. Uh, I still yeah. think it's great. And the consensus seems to be that it is definitely a step in a better direction than like the last two games. So like, mm. even though there's still like, you know, whatever backlash, like, it's definitely being received well enough that it's not like another sticker story. Yeah. <laughs> uh, you know. Yeah. Um, anyway, why don't we take a bit of a break and then move on to something else? That sounds good. Okay. All See right. you later. Talk to you soon. Bye. Steven. Oh, hi. We're back. In What's up? the podcast. <laughs> I like your interests today. They're good. Thanks. Uh, I'm I'm bringing a, a strange energy. It's very hot here. It's like about a hundred degrees here and sunny. Whereas for you, it's 
pouring. It's pouring outside. It's very foggy, but I kind of like it for recording a podcast yeah. and talking about Pokemon Crystal later today. That is cozy. Yeah. I, f- I feel like you and I are yeah. just like really excited to talk about Pokemon later. Me too. I, 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 I We were talking about this during the break. I want to say again that like we both liked Paper Mario. <laughs> I just want to make that clear. <laughs> it, feels, it feels weirdly like uh, Final Fantasy VII Remake, right? Where like yes. that game yeah, is yeah. so fucking incredible and firing on all cylinders of being like one of the like tentpole experiences of this generation of video games. So when you see a, a quality number one level JPEG export from Photoshop as like a, a, a skybox somewhere, like it's really jarring, you know? Yeah. And then Rose shows up and is like, let's tango, baby. And you're like, oh, this sucks. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but um, yeah, I mean, I think like, and that's, I think I would, again, not to put uh, words in the brains of the listeners, but I think there's a there's a way to, like, I think if we didn't have any criticism, the show would feel phony, you know? Yes. Like, if we only were like, I love this, what's up next? Mm, more ice cream with no flaws. That's like, <laughs> the fucked. That's even worse. It's just a different side of the same hatred coin. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but, uh, yeah, I just I just want to make it clear, like, I would definitely recommend checking out Paper Mario, especially if you just need, like, a, a source of joy right now on your Switch that maybe is an animal crossing if you're getting a little bit sick of doing chores like i am love animal crossing but i'm at another break period i think oh yeah me too um, in a big way yeah for real yeah anyway uh moving on you want to talk about xbox i did i want to talk about the microsoft's xbox. new system so here's the thing we we are getting closer and closer to the new generation of consoles uh the this current gen i think is pretty much like over right like ghost of tsushima was like the last big sony exclusive triple a game so like we are now fully in just like a holding pattern waiting for the next generation yeah i guess that would count the switch came in late enough that i think it's definitely still relevant in the foray of next gen at least on nintendo's end. yeah no i, you know? I agree with that i i think the yeah. switch i think is going to carry us uh very far forward into the future i imagine we'll get it totally. like a, a revision eventually that will be more powerful like the new nintendo new switch. switch yes i do i honestly like a goof but probably true. i want to bet 20 dollars right now on a venue 20 dollars that it's going to be called the new switch yeah i could see that too yeah yeah Anyway, um, it's not a, exactly an exciting bet if we both agree, I guess, but <laughs> I do think that's what's going to happen. <laughs> if we're both right, we split the bill. Uh, the next, <laughs> we uh, the each next keep $10 one. and send each other $10. <laughs> Just the thrill of Venmoing $10 and gaining and losing nothing. <laughs> I love that. Um, anyway, uh, fr- friend of the show, Kyle, uh, has has talked at length about um, Sony and Microsoft's uh, consoles being called the HD Twins. So that's kind of what I'm referring to. Is like it's like the mm. the HD Twins are done this generation. We're going to get like a new generation of HD Twins soon. Um, the the Switch I think is in its own kind of playing field. But anyway, with Ghost yeah. of Tsushima, that's like kind of it for for this generation of the HD Twins. So now we're kind of in a yeah. holding pattern. Uh, which has been really bizarre because, you know, like the current state of the world with coronavirus and whatnot has like really, really like drastically altered the way this stuff is being marketed and presented to the general public right now. Like I imagine totally. all of this stuff would have happened during E3 and now none of it is happening during E3 because E3 doesn't exist. Uh, it's now being spread out through Summer Games Fest and IGN's version of Summer Games Fest and um, Nintendo doing whatever the fuck they want. And also Sony to a certain extent, like breaking free of all of those other things and doing whatever they want. 
it's really a bizarre experience. It's a bizarre time. We didn't even talk about the EA State of Play Direct that happened. We didn't talk about the Ubisoft oh, yeah. version of that that also happened. Like, I don't even think we're going to touch on those, to be completely honest. But um, I oh, have been fine. fascinated in what's going on with, with the two consoles and the way they're being marketed and presented right now, especially considering you and I are in this place where we've talked at length about the fact that, like, you and I both want to get a console when it launches, when next gen happens, like you and I are like, we're going to get the same one. So we're going to be able to talk about it on the podcast. And and I think like it's becoming less clear which to get as we learn more yeah. about both, which is weird. Like Jeff Keighley for the Summer Games Fest just did a, just did like a 20 minute stream where he like was holding the DualSense controller, like the new the new controller for the PS5 and was just like talking about how great it feels, which is like the worst way. Like, no offense to Jeff Keighley, like the dude is absolutely trying his best. The fact that he set up Summer Games Fest by itself is like astonishing. Like it is hard to do what he is doing. But for Sony to be like, hello, one guy, we're going to knight you and and say that you can be the person who explains what HD rumble feels like in the dual sense. You get to be the person who talks about how clear the speaker is. You get to be the person who fucks around with the new touchpad, you know? Describe the color blue in front of an audience for 20 minutes. Oh, sick. Right, who all all have their eyes closed, yeah. Um, Yeah, yeah, that, that that is what that stream felt like. It was really strange. It was really, really strange. Um, he was showing off like they have they have a microphone in it, which is they, they the the demo that he was showing off was the exact same interaction that everybody had when they use the microphone on the 3DS, uh, which is just you blow into it. And that's literally it. Like there's not a, there's not a thing where you're saying words into this microphone and then it's like reinterpreting those words or whatever. Like it is literally just. Oh, there's interaction with the microphone. That means we're spinning a fan, you know, like in the game. Like that's as much interaction as the microphone has. Anyway, the Sony side of things has been really bizarre. And like, I feel like with every announcement, we actually learn less about the console. Uh, it's very confusing. Yeah. They have good games. That's the thing. Like they have like incredible yes. AAA stuff. They, they have been investing so much in, in their studios that they're making great first party AAA, generally single player games. Um, that are constantly like critically acclaimed, knocking it out of the park. Even Ghost of Tsushima, which has a shitload of problems, is like getting great reviews and it deserves them. Yeah. I mean, we did a whole episode closing out season two of our show about the Sony event and like we're kind of blown away by it. I mean, but the thing is, you know, in, in terms of what system to get on launch, the only games that are confirmed for holiday season, and even then it's a question mark, is uh, Miles Morales and Bug and Bug Snacks. I almost said Bug Fables. <laughs> uh, Bug fables uh and like truth be told i would maybe get a ps5 just to play miles morales like yes. i am so pumped for that me too system seller um, immediately yeah absolutely but i think like with with ps5 where i'm coming at it from if, if i wasn't doing this show i would probably wait a year or two to get either that's yeah. like me as a consumer would do that but like you said we want to be able to cover stuff and it, it's sort of the thing where it's like i know that long term i'm going to eventually have to get a ps5 based on what's coming out for it right but yeah, short term the the service of game pass 
the backwards compatibility are huge selling points for Xbox for me. Uh, not to mention what you wanted to bring up right now, which is their their recently announced thing. Yeah, so th- this is where I think the choice kind of gets made for us in a way uh, that I wasn't really anticipating. I, I think the the choice is now clear that if we're going to buy a box at launch, it should be the PlayStation 5 because Xbox has given us now a compelling reason to not buy their console. Yeah. Which I think is like a really fascinating take. It's like a really like bizarre choice on their part um, that I think will pay off in the long run because I probably will end up getting an Xbox eventually, but I don't need one at launch anymore. So the big announcement from this week was that Game Pass, which is um, a service we've talked about a lot on this show. Uh, we, we joke all the time. It's the best deal in gaming, but it really is. Uh, you pay a certain amount of money and you get access to a shitload of, of games. Um, pretty much every first party Xbox game, like every Microsoft Studios or sorry, I think it's called Xbox Studios. Now, every Xbox Studios game is on Game Pass pretty much in perpetuity. They're not going to remove those along with a shitload of other games. And you get access to all of them for this, you know, monthly price, essentially. And you can download them onto your Xbox and you play them, whatever. The new announcement is that they are now bundling with Game Pass a thing that they've been talking about for a long time and testing for a little while called uh, Project xCloud, which is now, I think, just called xCloud. There's no more project in front of it. And what that is, is essentially Google Stadia, like with, with yeah. like no no frills there it is just google stadia essentially you can play all of those games that are on game pass you can play them on any device that you have that that means your pc that means your phone that means what i will get into but i i assume is going to be like a google chromecast kind of device that is like maybe 20 to 30 dollars and plugs into the back of your tv and like that's it you just have to have a controller that you can that you can pair with it but that also could be any controller that's any bluetooth controller that works with any of your devices and what that means now is that you don't need the box essentially because every first party xbox game is now going to be launched directly on game pass which means that you just need to pay for game pass and then you can play those things anywhere the big question mark i think that most people would have who haven't experienced it yet uh, or who have read the reviews of how google stadia has played out is like how are these things going to play when i'm streaming them um and and the answer if you're playing on google stadia is like kind of rough uh, in, in most yeah. instances, at least from what I've seen and experienced playing Google Stadia myself, not great for like twitchy stuff. Like if you're playing like a Destiny in, in uh, PvP, like not the best way to play Destiny PvP. Absolutely. Project xCloud, I have had my hands on with. One of my coworkers was in the alpha and beta test for that. And I got to see it running on like a shitty Android phone with it with an Xbox One controller paired to it. And it was smooth as fuck like flawless like like on a completely different level he also had google stadia and showed me google stadia compared to xcloud next to each other and i i I have wanted to talk about this on the show for a long time and now i've finally gotten like the the reason to do that it it was night and day between those two services like xcloud is on such a different level that like i know it's going to take a lot of like consumer prodding to eventually accept that it works because they've seen it fail so many times but xcloud like really does work it is that technology like realized and the fact that you can pay for game pass and now play every xbox studios game and more on any device means that the box doesn't matter anymore xbox's mantra now is no longer like not that it ever was this but but it is no longer like we want you to buy a thing plug it into your tv it should sit there it should have a dedicated graphics card in there 
so we can run these games locally. That's that doesn't that doesn't mean anything. This has kind of like been my dream for a long time, which like I know and I, and I just want to put the big asterisk on this. Like I know that it is not achievable for everyone. I know that Internet speeds are are not perfect everywhere. It, it is not going to work for, for most people or maybe maybe not most people, but like a, for a large percentage of the population this is not going to be a possibility and and that that sucks but for that reason microsoft is still making the box and you can still buy it and you can still buy the disc and you can you can put the disc in the box and the thing will work but there's another version of this that that made me excited about stadia even though it failed and is now making me excited about this game pass and xcloud bundling which is that like when the xbox gets announced that thing is going to be fucking expensive like i, I i've yeah. heard a lot of rumors that it's going to be you know cheaper than people think it is but that still means you're going to be spending a couple hundred dollars on a box and then even more money for the games to play on that box and the fact that you can now just pay a monthly fee that is like i think either it's like 40 or 50 dollars and that means that you can have access to every game on game pass and play them on any device means that that barrier to entry to video gaming as like an art form and a hobby is is pretty much non-existent now is i think one of the most compelling and interesting things to have happened in games in a really long time like it was cool when google was doing it to try and get access to this industry but this is one of the major players this there are three major players in this industry and one of them has now said we don't care anymore about selling you a set-top box that actually doesn't mean shit. We want to sell compelling experiences for a price that is accessible and can be played on literally any device that you already own. That is thrilling to me if it works. Yeah. And I mean, we've already seen like the idea of, of, of streaming games, if you will, in, in like a Netflix-esque service. We've seen Sony try that and kind of not really work. But like Game Pass works. It, it really does. I yeah. mean, you're well, the downloading thing, the, the game. Yeah, the thing about Game Pass is that you were downloading it, right? And if you have if yeah. you have the, the box that lets you download and play that locally, then that's cool. The xCloud thing is that it is streaming. Like it is doing the Sony thing. It is doing the Stadia thing where like it is running the game on some server farm somewhere far away from you, but it's streaming the game to you. And and my experience with it might be different than most people's. You know, I was playing it in New York City with like a pretty decent Internet connection. So like I think that is that is something that we should take into account. But I mean, even just comparing that in Stadia running on the same device uh, with the same Internet, like Stadia and, and xCloud are, are two completely different things um, it, just in terms of like what they're accomplishing. But yeah, I don't know. I, I, I just think like it has become immediately apparent to me that the, that the console that I will probably buy at launch is is the PlayStation 5 because yeah. Sony, weirdly enough, like seems to be just kind of resting on their laurels with the success of PS4. They've kind of they've kind of figured out, I think, um, the thing that they should have learned in the PS2 era and then needed to really learn during the PS3 era when they failed, uh, which is that like their game studios are the most important thing that they have. Their IP is the most important thing that they have going for them and, and their level of quality that they must achieve with every game means that they are successful uh, just because like they make great content right um and that's why i'll probably buy the ps5 but xbox is learning that while also simultaneously playing the ground game of like building up this infrastructure that means that like i think i think the thing that everybody has always said for a long time is that the switch is the second console right it's like you have either an xbox or a ps4 and then the switch is the second thing that you get the xbox is now also a second console like that is now a contender to get like you can get the ps5 xbox has now made a really compelling case for you to also get a subscription to 
Game Pass on yeah. top of that. Like they are they are double dipping essentially in every way that you could possibly double dip. It's kind of it's really it's a huge fucking paradigm shift for this for this like trifecta of, of companies, I think, in, in a really fascinating way. Like to me, the no brainer thing now is at some point you buy a Switch because you got to play the Nintendo stuff. You get a PS5 yeah. because that's the only way you're gonna be able to play Sony exclusives. And then you get a Game Pass subscription and you play it on your your like Mac or your PC or whatever, you know, and you just like stream that shit uh, to there. The unsaid thing here is that there is the Xbox Series X, which is a thing that is announced that we know exists. There is the Xbox Series S, which is a thing that hasn't been announced yet, but is like rumored to the point where we pretty much also know it exists, which is a much cheaper version of the Series X that is not shooting for 4K video, uh, is not going to have the best graphics card, is not going to have, you know, the, the best of the best tech in there, but will still allow you to play all of the Series X compatible stuff uh, and be backwards compatible with everything previous to that. But there's also this other thing that I think is either called Lockhart or something else that is going to be like a Chromecast-esque thing that you just plug into your TV and that allows you to play Game Pass stuff. And that to me is the console you should buy. Like that to me is, is the way you should experience Xbox stuff. And that's really exciting. I think it's the first yeah. time I've been really excited about this generation is this announcement, because I think it really does like change everything about it, because I have a switch already. I will get a PS5 and now I have an in to continue playing Xbox stuff. And that's fucking yeah, and cool. It sounds like in, in a perfect world, they're all kind of shooting for what they do best. I mean, Nintendo has always done handheld best. Yeah. And like we've talked about how the switch isn't like actually that great handheld, like out of the house. But in the house, it's perfect. Yeah. It's the perfect, like, I am now lying in bed instead of on the couch yeah. <laughs> variant. But still, like, we've seen, we, we talked about how, like, with the Wii U era and the 3DS, the 3DS was so far superior to the Wii U mm. that fusing those teams, you get stuff like Three Houses, you get stuff like Sword and Shield, Animal Crossing, you know, the stuff yeah. that, like, maybe one would have existed on one but not the other. Now you have, like, a fusion of talent. Mm-hmm. And it sounds like what Microsoft has been really trying to do in recent years is, like, not just make a box that has their own exclusives because like i think that's what they were trying to do with xbox one and like uh i apologies to big gears of war fans but like that's not enough to sell the xbox one as evidenced by the data yeah you know like yeah the exclusives that xbox one has are just so few and far between and aren't really enough to like to pull someone away from sony because Sony. the thing about sony's exclusives is there's something for everyone you've got this sort of like triple a blockbuster stuff like uncharted and the last of us You've got the JRPGs like Persona. You have the Souls games like Bloodborne. And you've also, you know, it's just it's just like they've got their foot in a lot of different genres. Whereas the exclusives on Xbox are largely shooting games. So, yeah. like, someone might still go for that over Sony. I mean, the Xbox One still did okay. They survived. They didn't, like... Yeah. It wasn't like a like Atari Jaguar scenario. Like, they did fine. But I think that they're now realizing, like, what can we do that's unique to us? And if this service does work as intended, I think that's a really interesting world to be in because then it's not like it's not as much gatekeeping as it is experiencing what each party is doing well to their own merits. It kind of goes back to what we were saying about the PS2, GameCube, Xbox One era where like every system had a lot of games that were for all three systems and they were all doing their own thing. Uh, there's still this idea of like, okay, each has their own exclusives, but there was a little bit more like friendly competition in that era than there was later on, yeah. as we've often referred to. So I think we're kind of getting back to that era, but even in a more uh, almost ethereal sense of this idea that like they're all really, it's almost like the final evolutions, not to make it too Pokemon Crystal-esque, but <laughs> I'm excited to talk about Pokemon Crystal. They're, they're evolving, truly. You know, yeah. you, you've got 
you've got a gimmick that works for Nintendo. Uh, you've got another big box with cool exclusives for Sony. And you've got like a strange cloud-based service for Microsoft. What more do you want? Yeah. Atari uh, 4. This time it's got <laughs> wheels. Ooh. Yeah, I, I don't know, man. I, I just, I think, I think this is a, a really interesting step for Microsoft to take. Um, I, I think like there's, a, there's another side of this that I'm really excited about. Uh, and, and one of the reasons that I think Game Pass is such an interesting prospect, such an interesting service. I mean, I've talked a lot about how much I love Game Pass already and I already spend a lot of time playing stuff on Game Pass. But one of the most interesting things about it is like they just bought like, like 12 to 15 studios. Uh, and, and what they're, what they're now doing is funding them enough to make cool first party experiences for Game Pass, not for the Xbox, not to try and compete with Sony, but like for Game Pass specifically. And when I think about the world that Game Pass allows for, it means that like this complaint that you and I constantly have about games like The Last of Us and I'm going to eventually have about Ghost of Tsushima about like I don't need a triple A game to be 150 hours. I don't need this to be the biggest world ever put on a fucking disc. Like that's not that's not the reason I'm playing these games. I'm playing them for for aesthetic and fun and and experiences that I can't get elsewhere. The fact that Microsoft just bought a bunch of studios and is funding them with enough money to make a cool experience that you can download onto your Xbox or stream via xCloud and kind of get in and get out in the same way you would experience a movie on Netflix is really exciting to me. This fact, like yeah, the idea too. that all these studios could be instead of making 100 hour open world RPGs are now making like five to 10 hour, like solitary, interesting experiences where they get to like really explore a lot of shit that wouldn't generally be possible in a huge game like Ghost of Tsushima or Last of Us is really, really cool. Um, and sometimes you get things like Crackdown 3, which like, while not successful, are at least like a fun way to spend a couple hours. And also you didn't have to pay extra because it was part of your Game Pass subscription. Like, that's really cool. Um, Halo Infinite is going to come out. You know, that's going to be like a big, huge tentpole release for the Xbox One mm -hmm. or Xbox Series, whatever, uh, whatever they're calling that generation. That That is going to be released on Game Pass immediately like that is that is a first two game pass game which means that even if you're playing streaming it to your mac you can still play that thing that's cool man that's like that really is a huge shift in, in how the games industry works um and while and again while it's exciting for stadia it is doubly exciting for something like microsoft that has this back catalog of incredible shit that they can also add to game pass at any moment you know yeah that's the thing. This is an old joke, but Stadia is like, they're like, we got these games. It's like the bottom of the used game barrel. Yeah. At like, you know, GameStop. Like, you know, one of their launch titles is like an older Tomb Raider, which like, no disrespect to that series, but it's like, no one's going to get Stadia for games. It's the same thing when the Wii U came out. Because, like, the Wii U was trying to prove that they could run the same games that right. 360 and PS3 could. So, their launch titles were, like, Arkham City and Mass Effect 3. And everyone's like, I've already beaten those games. Yeah, the sequel I'm, to I'm Arkham City not... is already out. Like, what are you doing? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not going to get this just to play it on a weird low-res gamepad. Yeah. And, like, yeah. So, you know, leave the Wii U alone. It's It, it learned its lesson. We're fine. Yeah. But I just had to bring it up. Speaking of just needing to bring it up, I, I just wanted to bring up all this Game Pass X Cloud stuff because I, I think it's going to be really interesting. 
and and I'm excited to see how they message all of that to consumers because I think it's a kind of like heady and like big thing to talk about. Um, yeah, I mean, I'll be completely honest. Like, I I am a little bit more hesitant to be as excited as you are because like it is still such a foreign idea to me that like. I need to really be proven that it's going to work. I also don't know like what device I would want that on. Cause like I have a Mac and an iPhone and I'm not really like, I don't have my Mac for games. Like I played games on it, uh, but like kind of just by circumstance and not by intention. So like the Chromecast idea sounds great. If only just to save some money, but like, I just don't know what that would look like for me yet. But I am excited at just things changing because I think we're, we're, like you alluded to earlier, we're past the idea of like just buying a bigger and better box that has bigger and better games. Like yeah. things have gotten so big and kind of overstretched that like the future is actually more purposeful and like what can, what service can we provide? How are you experiencing the games? And what are they doing within a within a realistic amount of time to ask of you? Yeah, because I mean, we're already seeing with games that have been announced for the next generation, like like the new NBA 2K game is going to be $70. Like they've already they've already announced that games are going to be more, exp- at least here in the US, they're going to be more expensive than than this generation's games were. Like we, we got $60 as like the top level of that for for two generations. And now moving on, it's going to be $10 more expensive for entry to every single thing, which is why to me, the idea of not needing to spend that $70 every time is is definitely enticing. Um, but on top of that, the idea that like the the cost of producing a game is so fucking astronomical that they need to charge $70 to, for every person to be able to make up that cost um, means that something has gone wrong to me. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like it's a huge it's a huge uh, it's a huge cost for for the consumer who wants to play the thing. And it's a huge cost on the developer who needs to make the thing that the consumer wants. We, we've lost the plot somewhere. It is not sustainable. It hasn't been sustainable for a very long time. There are so many great articles about this. Um, maybe I'll link to one in the show notes. But that that is another reason that I think the the Game Pass and 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 XCloud thing is really interesting. Is like Microsoft actually is taking that to heart and is trying to make experiences that aren't that 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 are cost efficient and also deliver to consumers in a way that doesn't break their bank either. Because at the end of the day. I don't know if this is true of everyone in in Microsoft and in the Xbox division, but like Phil Spencer, the dude who's running the thing, he just wants people to play games and he loves every he loves all of the systems. He loves all the games on all the things. He will tweet out when he's playing Tsushima and likes it, you know, like he's he's very big into the cross pollination side of things. He, he yeah, he's he's very, very vocally against the like real stupid bullshit about like the console wars quote unquote which yeah. like we see that we see that with nintendo too with like minecraft dungeons coming to switch and like minecraft on switch yes. like that's huge yeah you know? yeah that that's what his uh legacy at my at, at xbox is going to be all about right is this idea of like decoupling xbox from an actual physical device and saying like xbox is a brand xbox is a, is a suite of software like microsoft is right like you can go buy a laptop from dell or from hp or from a and whatever and it'll come with windows on it and you can get microsoft office on any of those things but you can also get it on the web and you can also get it on mac like it's available everywhere because it because microsoft is a suite of software products and not like a physical thing you have to buy um and and you know there is a line of microsoft products right they have the surface products but like that is not the quote-unquote best way always to experience microsoft stuff um and i think the same thing is going to be true of xbox and i think that's like a really interesting and, and kind of brilliant step forward for that brand 
It's really cool. It's really yeah, cool. I, I'm excited to see it too. I, I think uh, I, I need to see it first to like fully embrace it, but I, I am also excited just to see, like you said, it's not sustainable to like for the default of AAA to be the biggest thing possible. Right. Hundreds you know? of millions of dollars and, and people not seeing their families because of crunch and like people staying so late in the studio that like they almost die. Like that is clearly, no, it's clearly not fucked it. up and wrong, you know? It's not worth it. Yeah. And, and there's a way to make those games without that sacrifice. And it's also like, I, I think about 2018 where like uh, in the games awards, you know, I mean, I love Celeste, so obviously I'm biased, but like Celeste is one of the game of the year contenders. That was like yeah. this tiny indie game made by like six people. And it rules. It's one of the best games ever. And, you know, truth be told, I don't know like how much I can only imagine the working conditions were better on that game because it was six people wanting to make a thing yeah. than like hundreds of people having to work under a name brand. You know what I mean? Yeah. So like, well, I don't truly know. I, I can't help but think like that conditions are better in the indie world because they're self-imposed in a sense. You know, it's like I had this vision I want to bring to life. And there's a huge difference between like being driven to make that happen and like crunch culture, you know, like you and I are both creative people that have worked on stuff. And there are times where like I will spend weird amounts of hours doing something I love, but like that's of my own inspiration and not because I'm told to do it. Yeah. You know, and 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 taking that and realizing and being self-aware enough to understand the balance that you need to strike there. Right. Like the amount of the amount of times that for this podcast, I have stayed up until 3 a.m. or all night, like working on like stuff that maybe nobody will even notice like I can't even count how many times that has happened but that said it is always preceded by and followed by like periods of rest you know because because I know that this is a hobby and something that I like I I, I can't you know spend all of my time energy and lively and, yeah. and just life on um, and for for indie games and, and indie developers in general I think you know there there is um, a side of crunch culture that exists there but it's really just burnout because of passion in, in a lot of instances right it's like if there's a two person team they're really fucking amped about the thing that they're making and they burn themselves out making it and sometimes it makes it out the door and sometimes it doesn't and and that's a completely different side of things but I do think that like I do think that there there is like a really 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 nasty side to AAA at the moment that if if this investment in those studios and if this release this this distribution model uh, alleviates some of that then it's a net positive for the industry and 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 Microsoft is potentially paving kind of a, a new path forward for an unsustainable industry yeah i mean like and and i bring up Celeste because that is a game that had a huge impact at the time it came out was considered you know in in a mainstream event one of the games of the year yeah up against red dead 2 a game that had animators work up all night to make a horse's testicles retract realistically if you're in water yeah like right. that is not the level of detail that makes a game good right we don't need that uh, we need a, a, a purposeful mission and, and something that, again, that actually says something and provides a experience that it is going for, which goes back to Paper Mario, where it's like, what is this game trying to do? It's doing these things so well, but it's held back by trying to do more things. Yeah. And I think that's what you run into with AAA a lot, where it's like this game is trying to do everything and it's it's not realistic. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I liked Red Dead 2 and, and no disrespect to the animators who made the horse testicles. But like, you know, it's just, it's just a level of like, that is, that is made exclusively for marketing. So someone could be like, everything in this game is real, man. You know, it's like, we don't need that. No one buys a game because of that. It's ridiculous. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) 
anyway absolutely no I, i'm totally we with figured you. it out <laughs> <laughs> we, we did it we solved crunch culture that's uh my dad and i have this inside joke with ourselves where whenever we have a conversation kind of like this where we're like getting a little heated about current like societal issues we'll end it with like so we figured it out just like you know <laughs> take a moment of self-reflection yeah but yeah man i i think that i think that a service like the the cloud service Microsoft is working on would be a game changer for sure. And hopefully in a very positive way, like you forecast. Yeah, th- this is a situation where like I could absolutely be eating my words in six months and like that's actually totally fine. Um, I would rather not be, but it is possible. Um, yeah. But but this announcement really just kind of like, I don't know, unlocked a whole like brain blast moment for me that was like, oh, like now I really understand what Phil Spencer's trying to do. And that's really thrilling. Um, totally. So if they're able to it off that that's great um that said like it could be another situation where you know just like whenever a new console generation starts and like you said it's probably best to wait for a year or two uh, after that happens before you actually get the box like it might be a situation where x cloud is going to be like tight in two years you know like yeah. when, once they get a shitload of people signing up for that thing and trying to use it like they'll learn more and make it better and and maybe in two years it'll be sick uh and maybe at launch it'll be fucking terrible which is why i'm probably still gonna get the box anyway but uh yeah I mean, just the the idea that more people can get involved with the hobby because it's wildly cheaper and doesn't uh, involve a four hundred to five hundred dollar uh, upfront investment is great. Totally. I mean, that's something we talk about a lot and is like a point of tension with like you know the exclusivity of of gaming as a hobby. You yeah. Know, is how much money it costs, which is why I I, I really love you know, investing in the indie world for many reasons, but it's also like, you know, Celeste is a game that, co- I, this is really not a Celeste sponsored episode, but <laughs> it's a good example. Like Celeste and Undertale are both games that cost less than $30. Uh, Undertale was $10, which is unreal. And, and Celeste was 20 or something like that. And like easily two of like fundamental gaming experiences that like, I mean, Undertale even bigger arguably that like changed the landscape and was this like lightning striking moment yeah you know so like it, it it's it's proof that like you know i mean and, and don't get me wrong i loved the last of us too you know we both really thought positively about that game i liked red dead 2 as well i'm a big uncharted fan i like triple a stuff but the reason i like it isn't because of like the extravagance of it yeah you know like that's not why I'm there. I'm I'm playing these games for specific reasons. Uh, and and even though there were horrific crunch culture going on with Last of Us Part Two, that is also a game that is actually not as long as some other ones, or not as open world as some other ones. It is like kind of focused in its delivery. So like, yeah, I, you you and I said deep, deep, deep in into the spoiler cast. Uh, at, at one point or another, we were like, this game is too long, but I don't know what I would cut. Right. Exactly. So, you know, and that's a story like Naughty Dog's whole mission has been like more narrative focus since since the early days of Uncharted. So like that's a different AAA mission than like I feel like the landscape must have changed after Skyrim, where I think like that game was so wildly successful mm-hmm. that the, the mission after that was like just make a bigger world than Skyrim. Yeah, it was. <laughs> you know? Yeah, absolutely. That uh, was the marketing like, beat for a long time. Yeah. And, and the irony, too, is like Skyrim is while a big game is is not as big as even older Elder Scrolls games like you know our Muse Oblivion um, <laughs> Skyrim the reason it feels so big is because everything has or most things have purpose to them yeah you know the the, the environments because Oblivion is huge but a lot of it is copy pasted and a lot of it doesn't really have like 
merit to being there. Right. There's, um, there's a density in both like content, uh, actually just in content. I think there, there's a, there's a density in, in, um, the actual, like the actual narrative weight of place in that game. Like everywhere you go that has a name has some kind of narrative structure involved there um which is i think why that game feels so dense right yeah and i mean i think a good game to bring up in this conversation is outer worlds we're like you know maybe not like our favorite game of all time but that is a game that felt big and is purposely small and is made by people who like were under the pressure of a corporate environment and making the fallout games and made this game almost as a response to that and its anti-corporate messages Mm -hmm. And, you know, you independent of whether you like that game or not, that is a game that showed how big a RPG open world game can feel when every setting has meaning. Yeah. So, you know, I, I think that, like, I, I'm, I'm glad we're moving in a direction where it's like, you know, you could tell a story in a short amount of time. I love Persona, but it doesn't need to be 100 hours. Right. Uh, Chrono Trigger was like 20 hours or 15. Yeah. You know, like, that is the definitive JRPG that is about time travel and has like the grandest stakes of like most games and it is less than 30 hours. Yeah. Uh, you know, so I, I'm, I'm interested in seeing, and even just for the show too, cause like I have a list of games that I want to finish because I love them so much, but you and I both operate under this mantra of like, if we don't feel compelled to finish a game, or if it's a story that doesn't really need to be finished, we're happy leaving a game where it's like, okay, I got what I wanted from it moving on. Yeah, which is which is inherently because of this podcast going to be more often than not, I think, right? Like, yeah, just because I... I, you and I make it very clear to one another constantly that like we are only playing games for the podcast if we actively like really want to. For me, I get caught up in a place where like what I actually want to do is experience all the new exciting stuff immediately, uh, which is, you know, maybe not great and probably not what I would be doing uh, if not for this podcast. But I really do like coming to the show saying like I did play Paper Mario and Ghost of Tsushima and Ooblets. You know, like in preparation for today's yeah. episode, the week they all came out, like that's exciting to me, but like also is not the best way to to ingest games. And there is a version of all of this where all of those games are 10 to 12 hours and I actually finished all of them, you know? Yeah, totally. And I mean, I think, um, it, again, it goes back to intention and execution. Why yes. is this story this long? You know, Persona is long in a way that actually doesn't feel too arduous. I mean, it does push the limit a little bit, but like that game is is kind of experienced like you're watching an entire series. You know, you're watching mm-hmm. this animated series progress in front of you and it's divided episodically. So I think that, you know, a game can be longer if it if it pays off for being so. But you, more often than not, it could be shorter and better off for it. Again, Undertale, four hours. That game is four hours long. Yeah. It'll be longer if you replay it and you, you should for, you know, story reasons. There's a whole meta story about playing it differently and it kind of remembers what you did last time. But, you know... It, it is four hours long. We should wrap up soon. <laughs> speaking of, you know, speaking of fucking brevity, we should shut up, you know? <laughs> All right. Well, thanks I, to I, everybody who listened to this episode <laughs> of the podcast. Uh, Wait, I don't want my last thing to be, we should shut up. I want to, I want to thank you for bringing this up because this is probably not something I would have brought to the table. I think it's cool to be excited at least for the existential idea of like what could change. What is the future of ingesting this media and could it be better for both the people making it and consuming it? And I hope the answer is yes. And it sounds like it might be if this actually works out as intended. Yeah, the the thi- uh, the last thing I'll say about this and and the reason why I'm so excited about it is like 
the Wii, the Wii U was a failure. The PS3 wasn't a failure, but like obviously didn't go great for for Sony. Um, it was X- their Xbox One. Yeah, the, yeah, the Xbox One initially at launch wasn't great and has gotten better, but that's really just by way of services and things like that. Like I, I wouldn't say the Xbox One or its exclusives have gotten better. It's just like the offering on the Xbox side has gotten better. Going into this generation, there is so much money on the table. There is so much riding on the success, especially on Xbox's side, where like they don't really have a great foothold outside of the United States. Like the thing is kind of a joke in in Japan specifically. Like it it is not selling well there at all and hasn't its entire life cycle. There is so much riding on the success of this strategy. And for this to be the strategy means that they have to be very confident in the technology and very confident in what they're cooking up. And and that's what's exciting to me. Is like they've they've spent most of this generation prepping themselves for next gen. Um, yeah. And and eventually all of that stuff is going to culminate in one like wild and 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 uh, kind of expansive marketing beat, which like could be I think that's next week or in two weeks from now when when uh, Xbox is having what was going to be their E3 event. That's like soon. And we're going to like see that uh, and, and we're going to see the new boxes. We're going to see the new services. And we're going to see probably a bunch of new first party games and like how all of that melds together into one cohesive strategy for next gen for for Microsoft. And on the other side of that, the industry might be different. And and that's kind of what I'm excited about. Um, that's the first time I've been excited about next gen because like there's always going to be new games and new games are exciting. But like next gen wasn't very exciting this, you know, this last time, you know, going going yeah. from PS3 and Xbox 360 to PS4 and Xbox one, like wasn't exactly thrilling. It's, it's the games that made it that. But this in this instance, the technology is what's exciting. Totally. Yeah. I mean, that's and that's how it felt early on with like the jump from PS1 to PS2 or, or 64 to GameCube was like another dimension. Yes. A presentation. Yeah, so absolutely. I think we're past like we're past the point where better graphics is the only thing. And I think you've pointed out why. Yeah. So cool. Cool. <laughs> cool. <laughs> <laughs> that reminds me. I don't know. I have never seen the sixth day. But there's a clip where it's all about like Arnold and his clone. And there's a clip of them working on something and then they both just go cool to each other. (laughs) That's what I was thinking of. Oh, that's good. Um, Hey, thank you to everybody who listened to this episode of Into the Aether, a low-key video game podcast. Podcast. (laughs) Podcast. Yeah, I mean, there are, as we always say, there are a bunch of ways to uh, support the show if you would like to. All of those are available at... Uh, at at uh, intothecast.online uh, you can go check out all the links to Twitter and Instagram and you can join our Discord um, they're, they're just like a bunch of ways to uh, to kind of like hang out I guess um, this is a mess yeah. can you do it? <laughs> <laughs> yeah sure um, <laughs> is Aiden going to cut that out or we just keep going? no I think just keep what it what should Why I not? retread? whatever <laughs> <laughs> Show some, but there is always an episode where one of us goes like, "Oh, you do it." Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah I'm, I mean, I'm still you, thinking so much about fucking console branding strategy that I can't yeah, think about. Have a big neocortex moment. Yeah. Yeah. Um, anyway, yeah. I mean, Brendan covered most of it. If you like the show, sharing with a friend is the best way to help it grow. You can review us on apple podcast i got that from you that weird whisper into the mic um (laughs) and uh uh, this whole show is just you and i passing each other's verbal tics to to one another (laughs) (laughs) yeah by the end it's gonna be like (laughs) woohoo 
There's <laughs> nothing. Started out on sick hot takes about cloud services, and now it's just farts. Anyway, yeah, if you want to hang out, the Discord is a lovely place. Everyone there is so cool and nice. You can join that uh, in the show notes link, as well as going to the theworstgarbage.online. Two years, and, yeah, by the way. Uh, Officially today, the day we're uh, recording, two years of The Worst Garbage existing. Oh, no way. That's awesome. Yeah, that's cool. That's so cool. Yeah, uh, yeah we're also... Um, we are working on some new stuff. We're working on setting up a merch store. More on that sometime in the future. We said that last episode. It'll probably be set up like early August. Uh, but you know, we'll we'll let you know how that goes. And yeah, we have a Patreon. Uh, as always, if you're if if donating to the show puts you in any kind of financial strain, please don't. But supporting the Patreon makes us do more stuff, more streams, having any support at all. Let's us do the bonus episode every month, which we're going to record later. Pokemon Crystal, so excited for that one. And also, as always, just send us all feedback you got. You know, I think one of the reasons the show has grown as successfully as it has is because of feedback. Um, yeah, uh, absolutely. We did not. We've only been doing bonus episodes for under a year, and they have by far been, I think, our most successful like avenue for the show i think we have like we love doing regular episodes but like we have a lot of fun with the bonuses we have a lot of fun uh engaging in different topics and like having a little bit of more room to creatively explore the formula of the show and the bonuses we have guests on which has been a blast we want to do more so like i know a lot of you have responded positively to having guests as well probably sick of us uh but you know (laughs) I, i i would love to feature more voices as well and yeah i'm just really you know i this show, talk about Paper Mario being a source of joy. This show is always a source of joy to do. And the fact that you can share that by listening. And if that means, if the show is is a positive part of your day, that means the world. That's the most successful way to help us grow is like just sharing in it. Because we love making it. Uh, and, and we're always baffled uh, that anyone also likes listening to it. <laughs> yeah, I mean, Not I, in a self-deprecating way, but we just we both know, especially you, Brendan, we both know how many podcasts exist and how many video game podcasts exist. And the fact that you've chosen to spend this much time with us. And good Lord, talk about me saying brevity is the soul of wit before. We've released too many hours of content for you to realistically enjoy. Yes. So thank you for sticking with Liter- us. Literal hundreds of hours of podcast at this point. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, as far as making the show goes, the best thing that I could possibly say about it and like the absolute fucking dream for anyone making a podcast is that I frequently forget that we're recording these conversations as they happen. Yeah. Same. Um, generally, when I say the words, dear listener out loud, it's me remembering that this is a podcast and not just me talking to Steven <laughs> over Skype. I like it because it's kind of like a weird Victorian form of free and direct discourse, yeah. which is a word <laughs> after graduating with my English degree, I've been waiting to say once to validate the time <laughs> I spent in college. But, uh, but it is a fun way to check in for sure. Yeah. Um, cool. I guess, uh, I guess let's wrap up so we can take a break and then uh, talk about Pokemon Crystal, which um, should be coming out for you, dear listener. Um, I, I think within a couple days of this one coming out, at least. Uh, yeah, yeah, it'll be out before the end of the month, at least. Is, is Totally. The most important I, yeah, I think the plan right now is this will come out Wednesday, so the earliest would be this coming Monday. And if not later in the month, hey, give AJ a fucking break, yeah. dear listener. Yeah, that's what we're trying to do. Uh, he's been, t- I mean, honestly, we should give him a break. The dear listener has no has no sin on their on their conscience currently. No, not at all. Um, it's our fault. <laughs> 
<laughs> I wasn't ready for this episode to end with the phrase, it's our fault. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I, think, I think that'll do it. Um, thank you as always. You rock. I hope things are going well by you and have a wonderful rest of your week. And I hope you're still enjoying summer despite everything. It's still a lovely season. Enjoy it for what you can. Yeah. I went to the beach recently. My name is Brendan Bigley. You can find me on the internet <laughs> at Brendan Bigley. <laughs> I went to the lake recently. Uh, my I guess it was Simi a lake. Hogan. It was Lake Michigan. Me. I went to the same lake as you. We were on the on other sides of Lake Michigan. That is so beautiful. I love that. Also, how cool is Lake Michigan? Oh, it was amazing. Yeah, I we we found yeah. uh, we found like a public beach access piece of it that was like almost completely empty because it was like the middle of the day on a work day. Yeah, and there was nobody there, and it was like just the best experience. Um, I mean, a because being socially distant from literally everyone on a beach is my dream right now. Yeah. Um, but just in general, also being socially distant from everyone on a beach has always been my dream. So. It was great. And it's also like it, it's uh you know everyone hears lake and they think it's small but like it truly does look like you're looking at the ocean like there's yeah. no horizon line of land outside of it which makes sense because Lake Michigan is bigger than some states so like yeah. obviously you wouldn't be able just to see that far but you know uh, the, the term lake implies a certain visual yeah anyway before I start talking about oceanography goodbye, goodbye. we love you talk to you next week. Garbage dot online.